You know, I wanted to ask you because right now uh, Pelosi and the Democrats just passed, I guess, the first step in this $3.5 trillion reconciliation package. But to me, there's a lot of good things in it. But like they're focused on the climate proposals. But what's the point of the climate pol- proposals in this bill if you're just pouring gasoline elsewhere like line three pipeline? Um, you know, I honestly, I will not take any climate change <clears throat> legislation seriously from the House um, and the Senate until it includes defunding and uh, shrinking the size of our military. Because the U.S. is the number one polluter <laughs> in mm. the world. So the the small incremental changes they want to make um, aren't really going to be effective to combat the effects of climate change. And they're also not going to stop us from meeting um, you know, some of those very crucial tipping points that we are we are fast tracking on the way to, especially if we have a president that is continuously approving um, new pipelines, continuously approving fracking contracts and uh, not holding uh, the oil and gas companies accountable for how they've destroyed our um, our earth. 100 companies are responsible for 71% of our climate change disaster. Like that is absolutely ridiculous. And we're not even really talking, like I said, we're not talking about, you know, the military's effect on, on emissions and, and the ways in which the US military is very much a part of our emissions. Um, so, you know, it, like I do want the infrastructure bill to pass um, because America is in dire need of new infrastructure. We're in dire need of improvements, but these improvements are just putting band-aids on gushing wounds. Um, so until we take our climate seriously enough to actually ban fracking, until we take our climate seriously enough to actually invest in high-speed rail, no, no solution is going to meet the mark <laughs> um, that comes out of the House or the Senate. Well, I also think like there's the pipelines that we've seen going through i mean standing rock you know i was there for many months keystone uh was finally stopped biting got credit for that he's allowing this to happen but a lot of people don't realize a whole lot of these pipelines go through black and brown communities uh not just indigenous communities and it's not just the pipelines like i mean i remember a couple of years ago i covered in east chicago indiana not chicago but east chicago indiana uh, essentially, they had dumped a lead smelting plant on top of a, a government housing project, 99% black population. And this whole community, they didn't know why. Oh, why does everybody have asthma here? Why does everybody have like early cancer with no pre- family history? So it's not just like the blinking red light current projects, but they're not proposing anything to stop the environmental I, I say environmentally racist, uh, pollution, uh, corporate uh, to- toxic release, uh, far, far away from, you know, people who look like me, but of working class, black people, Hispanic people, and indigenous people. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, it's very frustrating. You know, like, like Gina said, um, Gina from On the Earth said, like over 50, almost 50% of the households in America will be affected by these pipelines. Like their water quality will be affected by these pipelines. And it needs to be a bigger conversation. And so not only do you have that compounding fact that we're increasing the amount of pollution that is going through these neighborhoods, but like you like, you know, to echo what you're saying, like out here in Baltimore, there are smokestacks 
that run 24-7 and pollute the air in Baltimore. In Flint, Michigan, they still don't have clean water. Out here in D.C., people have to boil their water <laughs> to, uh, in certain neighborhoods to make sure they have clean water. It's been an ongoing joke that D.C. tap water is dirty. Um, and for that, for us, you know, it's normal. But if this was happening in any of these affluent ni- white neighborhoods, it would be completely unacceptable. So why is it acceptable for black and brown people to deal with it, but it's not acceptable for white people to deal with it? And now, you know, you're, we're starting to see some effects that do bleed more intersectionally into white working class people's environments. Um, but, you know, what is it really going to take, I guess, for people to take the climate more seriously? Um, because it does affect all of us. Um, the climate is giving is getting warmer and warmer. These diseases that are trapped in these ice caps are going to continue to be released. And we're going to continue to be in cons- consistent and constant danger. Like the northeast of America is getting pounded by a, a hurricane. And this is not the first time that it's happened. Haiti is dealing with a, a tropical storm right now after they just had an earthquake. Like the climate emergency isn't coming. The climate emergency is here. It is said over and over again. I feel like people are screaming it from the rooftops. And I, you know, because we're making this such a hyper individualistic issue, like, oh, well, if we all stop using plastic straws or if some of us, you know, switch to lower emission cars, like how do we talk about the collective harms that have been caused by these oil and gas companies? by the military industrial complex and by all of these big corporations and these politicians that care more about lining their pockets than they do about protecting our planet. Um, So really just trying to mobilize people around that. And like, I feel like actions like yesterday um, and other direct actions that we should definitely be doing going forward, bring attention to the real harms that comes from that come from us not taking our climate emergency seriously because the earth will survive but we won't mm-hmm. we, you know um so we just need to i feel like for survival we all need to take this more seriously um if we want to have a future on this planet at all well i also think and i, I don't want to like trigger the trigger the anti-vaxxers and all that i don't i'm not trying to have a discussion about that but like with with the climate catastrophe, which is here, it's not like coming, it's it's here. Uh, I mean, California was like at 110 degrees. Uh, Vancouver, Canada was 120 degrees. Half the West is burning. Mass drought. We're not even talking about, you know, Africa and other, uh, you know, countries around the world. But like, there is no vaccine for it. Once it's here, you, you can't really improve it because you had to improve it before. You know, like you can't wear a mask if your house is burning down, it's not going to do anything. You can't, uh, you know, there's no shot in your arm. If like you're, you know, in a little paddle boat in your street because it's flooded. So I don't think people realize like technically, you know, without getting into debate about this, like an acute pandemic could improve if certain things were done. This cannot, once it's irreversible, which we're at the point now where, where the studies are coming out saying if nothing happens, like, a, a radical difference, not like the Paris climate deal and a couple band-aids here. If nothing happens like right now, this is irreversible. Yeah, and you know, also there are certain studies that show like from the IPCC that say that we're going to hit certain tipping points regardless of when we go net zero. Even if we aim to be net zero by 2050, 
we're still going to hit tipping points. We're still going to see historic melting of the ice caps. We're still, um, you know, we're still going to deal with mass climate migration. And a lot of the people that are going to be affected by climate change are going to be black people, are going to be brown people, are going to be indigenous people that live on coastal city, that live in coastal cities and live on islands. And, you know, it's going to be a genocide of many different of many different groups and cultures because once your homeland gets washed under the ocean what do you have left how do you rebuild from that how do you replace the cemeteries all the in, the ancestral attachment to those lands um so we need to reverse course right now not only for those black and brown people but for everybody that lives on this earth the scandinavian countries as well all those white folk that live up there and on those uh, in the Nordic countries, they were experiencing 90 degree weather too, historic warming as well, you know? So this isn't just, this. I feel like before a lot of this was like a black and brown, like island city, coast, like coastal issue. And, and that's where people thought it was gonna kind of stop. But now we're starting to really see the effects of what scientists have been talking to us about for the past 30 or so years. Um, so, you know, again, I say, you know, we have a president that doesn't even acknowledge that fracking is something that needs to be banned. Um, and as many great tweets as the Biden administration puts out about how the climate emergency is happening now, we need to take the climate catastrophe seriously. We have seen in their actions that they absolutely do not. The ocean was on fire during the Biden administration. <laughs> okay, we had the ocean on fire during the Biden administration, and he is still approving these pipelines. We are still not having serious conversations about um, investing in high-speed rail. We're still not having um, real conversations about how to deal with our carbon emissions, whether that's putting that in the ground or trying to figure out different ways to, to deal with it. We're not having those real conversations about how to structurally change the ways in which we um, energize our society. Um, and it's really scary, especially as a black person that already, you know, know knew of so much um, environmental racism that was happening in black and brown neighborhoods that already knew of so of all the pollution and the poor water quality that we're dealing with in a lot of these black neighborhoods to also compound that with the fact that a lot of these neighborhoods are on coasts <laughs> and will be affected by a lot of, be affected by flooding and these mass climate cat catastrophes in ways that I don't, I feel like we just cannot imagine. Um, even here in DC last week, we were, there was flooding down the streets in, out here in Northwest. Um, so we, we really need to take this seriously if we're going to take having an infrastructure in this country seriously. Um, because if we can deal with, uh, if Texas can deal with uh, the, basically the rotting of their electrical grid because of all of these different, you know, climate change issues because of um, deregulation, then what makes you think that our national grids can't be affected by mass climate change as well? You know, I'm a white dude, so I, I, I do not try to pretend I understand. Uh, I, I've been privileged just like most white people, but I don't know, like, I covered Standing Rock years ago. I've covered uh, other environmental pipeline fights. Like Biden is allowing right now for this pipeline to go through sacred burial grounds mm -hmm. in Minneapolis of native people. Uh, Obama allowed that to go through, uh, you know, sacred burial, land, burial lands in North Dakota for indigenous people. 
uh, Biden said a lot of words about justice and uh, restore the soul of something and showed up at black churches, just like Hillary and the rest of them. But he just appointed Rahm Emanuel, who covered up the murder of a black kid uh, so that he could get reelected. Not to mention uh, Rahm Emanuel basically, I mean, in Chicago, there's been a flight of black people leaving Chicago as a result of Rahm Emanuel's, you know, pouring in millions of dollars to bring in yuppie people, yuppie white people downtown Chicago with the Riverwalk. So it just seems to me, I don't know, obviously older voters, older white voters, older black voters tend to be more conservative, not think in revolutionary terms, but I don't know. I mean, if I'm somebody who voted for Biden just to get Trump out of there and I'm black or indigenous, uh, I'd be pretty insulted right now. Um, absolutely. You know, like these pipelines are going through treaty lands, like lands that we said that we would not touch and we did not keep our promises. But how, I mean, how respectful do you expect this country to be of any indigenous people or of any indigenous culture when we don't even honor them enough to teach the truth about who they were, how how diverse of um, diverse the tribes were, how many different tribes there were? We can't even probably conceptualize it, really, because we refuse to actually talk about it. And, you know, as a black person, thinking about the fact that Rahm Emanuel is, has been appointed for anything within the Biden administration, should, we should all see that as a slap in the face, especially when Biden was the same president that said that you're not black if you don't vote for him. Well, exactly what part of my blackness are you honoring? Because Rahm Emanuel has, was inherently anti-black, not only aiding and abetting in gentrification, but also, you know, the the covering up of the of the uh, 17 year old boy and the increasing police presence that, that was um, being perpetuated in Chicago. He, uh, he repeatedly raised the police budget or funneled military equipment into into the police force. So if Joe Biden really cared about, you know, reaching out to black people, then of course he wouldn't have done that. But I feel like, um, you know, a, a big problem with the Democratic Party, and I would argue the left as a whole, is that they take black voters, indigenous voters for granted. Because, I mean, let's be real, like black people, and there are black conservatives now that are just like anybody but Democrats that do vote for Republicans. But I mean, a majority of black people vote for Democrats because they know the Republican Party is racist and they're not willing to concede to that racism. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the reason why the Democratic Party feels like they don't have to earn our vote. And one of my biggest issues with the left now, and especially like, you know, I talked to Brianna Joy Gray about this, but the Bernie campaign was, is there's no real solid outreach to the black community within these platforms. There's, and a lot of black people, I can tell you, like, I've been protesting out here um, in DC. I've worked on the defund MPD coalition, working on legislation to um, decrease the size of the police, really like reimagining safety and trying to uh, reinvest into resources that are actually going to keep DC safe. People do not want to hear defund the police. And a lot of black people especially do not want to hear defund the police because they don't think that it applies to them because they don't think that this is an idea that black people came up with. So mm. because of that, they're like, oh, well, when we see all these protests and we see all these people, it's usually white people out there. So you're not talking to us. And, you know, it's just, it's very frustrating because as 
black people, especially working class black people, there are so many intersections where we can have like a real labor movement that is black led, that is black centered, but that does help all working class people. Mm -hmm. um, and so how, I guess now looking forward into 2022 and 2024, as the left, are we going to take it seriously to appeal to black people, to appeal to indigenous people, to and to continue to build power and those um, coalitions um, of multiracial, um, very diverse working class coalitions of people? Are we gonna continue to do that? Or are we gonna continue to ignore the issues that continuously put a stop in our movement every single time? Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I really hope that, you know, because the Democratic Party is what it is, like they're lost, like they are a corporate oligarchy party. Like that's what they want to do. They they are a racist party. They are like that's that's who they are. So how do we create a party that and oh how do we create a movement that can put pressure either on the Democratic Party or create a party outside of the Democratic Party that we can that we as the people working class people can um, create the platform for and actually feel collectively protected by <laughs> that party. Um, you know, and and does that look like move? Does that look like the People's Party, or does that look like something that is really genuinely starting from a labor movement and moving into a political party? Like, yeah, what yeah. is the next step? Mm -hmm. Would be my spiel on that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I I mean, I've been seeing like the circular firing squad on the left. I mean, God knows, probably the last year, and I think that to me there's a lot of like oversimplification that's going on in terms of it's got to be one thing or the other. Like it's either everything into the people's party, which by the way, I mean, doesn't have ballot access in most places right now, or it's like, you know, everything into MPP cancel the Dems. I don't care if Jesus is running, if it's as a Dem, no. Uh, or let's all do like economic boycotts, which I wanted to talk to you about and like screw electoral politics. And I don't know. To me, I don't understand. Like, I do understand why people feel this way, because people are just fed up, cynical, angry, hopeless. But what I don't get is like, to me, you look at Nina Turner, for example, if you actually look at the numbers, she actually won most black wards in Cleveland. She actually won the city of Cleveland and the city of Akron, which are majority black. Problem was, there's only 17 percent turnout in this election. And the establishment through their propaganda got all the wealthy white people in the suburbs to come out. So how do you, A, as a progressive movement, uh, get more voters out? Uh, Black Bernie campaign put a lot of money into trying to juice up the numbers of Hispanic voters. But also, more importantly, what is your message to them? Because I think there's a lot of leftists who come in thinking that if I just explain, like, talk revolutionary, like, you know, Medicare for all, we could have it tomorrow and uh, Green New Deal and all these things. Uh, you might be talking to people talking specifically about the black community that hasn't had the benefit of thinking in revolutionary terms. Uh, you know, they've had to vote out of survive. I don't want to I don't want to speak for black people, but, you know, they've had to vote with a much different mindset. So, like, what would be your uh, what do you think is the best way for the progressive movement to approach these working class black voters because they don't only care about black issues per se. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I think just being more targeted in our messaging, I feel like, you know, a lot of it is very broad. It, you know, and it does cut, it does cover um, 
a vast majority of people, um, depending on what liberatory politic you're talking about. But it is very broad. Um, so even if it is more targeted in the sense that, like, if we talk about healthcare, um, America has the highest infant mortality rate of any developed country. And Black women die three times more on delivery tables than white women do. So who's, mm. whose babies are dying disproportionately? Or if we talk about labor movements, like, yes, we should totally have a strengthened labor party. But as I've stated before, a lot of the labor protections that have come out of legislation historically have always left out black people (laughs) or almost explicitly said that they're not for black people. So how do we make sure that we're standing in solidarity with everybody and meeting the mark of that solidarity, depending on what that harm is? Um, And like talking about black people, talk about reparations. Like, yes, that is a black centric issue, but there's a real economic reason why black people need reparations because white people on average have about, I want to say, I want to say it's like $178,000 per year, according to the census. And black people have, what is it? 24,000 on average. Like, so knowing that alone, that, that disparity alone should explain why we need reparations. Not even like, not even explaining every irreparable harm since slavery. Like this isn't just about slavery. This is about slavery. This is about Jim Crow. This is about white supremacist violence. This is about police brutality. This is about environmental racism. It's about housing discrimination, financial discrimination. Like these are all the different reasons why we feel the need, the feel the way that we do about reparations and about, and having a really, laid out conversation about that i think that'll be i think that would be helpful not only for black voters to see it but for white voters to see it as well for other voters to see it as well um and you know as far as like reaching out to working class people i think that yes there was a lot of liberatory and revolutionary language but but coming from the bernie campaign but there was no real teeth or real fight or real grit when it came down to it. Mm-hmm. So working class people can hear you all day. And I'm sure there are many working class people that have been through all these election cycles where they get promised all these things that never happen. They can hear you. But when it comes down to it, what are you standing? What are you standing your ground for? What are you digging your heels in for and just being like unwavering on? You know, I don't really give a shit if it's them enter, them exit you know, whatever, like, let's go to space to find progress. That doesn't matter. And I think too many people out of ego, in some cases out of profit, are really fixated on, you know, digging their digging their digging in the trenches on one thing, whether it's MPP, or burn down the system, or, um, you know, screw electoral politics, I'm never voting again, uh, only focused on, you know, economic protests. To me, I don't care what it is. It, I care what is going to help us as quickly as possible. To me, it doesn't matter. You know, for example, Nina Turner run as a Democrat. Okay. She wasn't sounding the exact same way she sounded for the Bernie campaign. So be it. What's this person's track record? Am I better off? Are our chances better off at certain things with her in office? It doesn't mean you bow down to these people. I mean, I've criticized Bernie, the squad, and the rest of them for quite a while to the point where I'll never get an interview with these people. I don't really care. But to me, the one thing is, again, 
whatever. I'm not telling people to vote for a Democrat, a third party, vote at all. To me, the one thing that's constant, the Republican Party, there is no division. They're organized. Even when they had the Tea Party, when it came down to it, they get their ducks in a row. There ain't, there's not this food fight. The Democratic establishment, we keep seeing it over and over again. Uh, Bernie, I mean, I think he fucked up towards the end, but for a little bit there, he it, he was very close to clinch, clinching that nomination. But then a very well-organized uh, Obama got involved, the donors got involved, the media uh, stepped in, and they basically they they tossed Bernie to the side in a matter of 10 days uh, with all that coalescing. You look at Nina's campaign. I mean, according to the polls, she had this thing in the bag. But then, I mean, the left was divided. There was no real, like, left energy for Nina Turner's campaign because everybody was focused on other things. And the establishment came in, guns a-blazing, $3 million in super PACs. I mean, I was there. Billboards all around Cleveland, you know, full of shit comments, uh, propaganda all over. Uh, yes, Nina Turner in total raised more money. But towards the end, she was being wildly outspent. They're organized. We're not. So it kind of comes down to this choice. All right. Are we just going to, you know, close off, clo you know, entirely close off ourselves if these people over here aren't as pure as we want them to be? I'm not saying like join forces with Nancy Pelosi. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying all this. I mean, the left has been eating itself alive. This has been a story for the left for generations, like literally decades. Divide and conquer. We're doing we're basically doing the work for Pelosi and them by just fighting each other. So to me, and I'd love your thoughts. I'm not saying I do believe there are certain things that if you're not for it, and if you're not, uh, if your values aren't X, Y, and Z, then you are not a leftist and I don't really want to work with you. But to me, if, if the way things are going now, keep going, we're going to keep losing electorally or outside of electoral politics. Yeah. And you know, I believe in accountability. Like I'm an abolitionist. I believe in transformative justice and I believe in real sustainable accountability. But I feel like everybody's version of accountability is very different. I don't believe in cancel culture. I do not believe, I believe that when you cancel people and you shove them out of your space and you say like, hey, like we don't want anything to do with you, whatever, people are gonna find their love. They're gonna go where the love is. And if we cancel and excommunicate enough people, then, they, they find love, they find companionship because humans crave like cooperation. We are communal animals and that's just reality. So how do we start having these conversations on the left that aren't so based in vitriol? Because there is a lot of anger, there is a lot of grief, there is a lot of pain that is centered around our work, especially if you are like, you know, Black Lives Matter, especially if you are um, working on the indigenous protests, even even like the working class and the labor, you know, like some of the stories that come out of those warehouses, that's trauma, that's pain, that's grief. Those are all very negative emotions. But how do we say like, hey, I don't fuck with what you're doing. I fuck with you. I love you or whatever, but this is not it. And if our goal, we set our goals is this, like this is what we set our goals are. So are we going to be, are we going to hold ourselves accountable to this? Yes or no. And approaching that conversation from a just a, a, just a genuinely different place. Now, are there people that I feel like, you know, are really just out here like bad faith actors that are probably making a lot of money off of this 
and that's just what it is? Absolutely. I, I'm side-eyeing anybody that has made a whole lot of money <laughs> off of, you know, leftist politics because a lot of the leftists that are doing a brunt of this work on the ground do not make shit. I'm one of those leftists right now. I don't, like, I don't even have a job and I, I work my ass off to organize. So for, like, for me, from my perspective, it's just so frustrating when you see these people that do have all this money and all this capital that could be really supporting the grassroots that just aren't. And like you said, the, the Republican Party, they do that. <laughs> the Republican Party supports their grassroots, even if they don't openly say they support their grassroots. All of those news organizations that keep popping up, all of those conservative um, commentators that keep popping up that keep for some keep getting all this money and all this funding, it's because they are organized and the grass top is making sure that the grassroots are constantly being funded because they know how the cycle works. All of these leaders that we're cultivating at the bottom end up at the top at some point, most of them, especially in the Republican Party. And by the way, the Republican donors are often creating the grassroots. Look at the Tea Party, which was really mm-hmm. just a bunch of billionaires pouring money in to make it appear it was grassroots. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, AstroTurfing. Oh, yes. <laughs> the yeah, Republican yeah. Party. They are A-OK with that. And, the, and, you know, and it's like that that level of performance, it's effective. It is effective because regardless of whether or not we want to admit it, Trump had one of the most effective administrations of our lifetimes. That man had over 200 federal judges mm-hmm. <laughs> planted all across the nation, three Supreme Court judges. And he got tax cuts for all his friends. And he made a lot of money while he did it. Yeah. That like that that is more what about like that is closer to what his base's values were. His base got what they wanted. They got all these conservative judges all across the all across the country that are going to overturn abortion rights. They got all these. They got they got what they wanted. Why can we not have somebody on the left that is willing to just kind of go balls to the wall because that's really what Trump did to get some of our policies done? And it's and it's like because like this weird civility respectability that we have on the left. And no, all of that shit is important. But I feel like on the left, we focus more on cultural issues than we do on the economic issues. And the, mm. and the nucleus of their power is economic issues. I'm a black person. I'm a, I'm a lesbian. I'm a woman. All these, these, all these identifiers very much inform my experience in this country because of white supremacy. They very much inform my, my, uh, my thinking about these policies, the way, like, in just my perspective. Of course they do. But it would be, I don't, I don't know. Like, I feel like they focus so much on the performative aspect of supporting identity that they don't realize that the real aspect of supporting identity is saying, okay, so how do we reinvest all this money? How do we get these tax refunds back? Because we paid all these taxes into the system and they're telling us that it's an entitlement for us to get housing and healthcare and welfare that we already paid into. Right. <laughs> so how do we change the conversation about that? Because that is our money, period. No matter how you chop it up, that's our money. So it's just, I feel like so many of the conversations on the left are, they're empty. They're so empty because they don't actually get to the root of what the issue is. And it's the economic and war powers in this country. 